the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. We are live today, Friday, December 22nd, 2023. I am Seth Leaps, and I have the great George Kaloff in studio with me. He of Data Orbital and... um, What's your other organization? The Resolute Group. Uh, how do I not know this? I interact with you all the time. The Resolute Group in Data Orbital. Um, and in the spirit of giving, he's giving us his time in studio, all political questions uh, fielded. Um, and if you want to call in 602-508-0960, ask him anything you want about anything, including, um, I mean, you know, anything political, anything you want. He, he's an expert on all things, including uh, non-mutual collateral estoppel. Uh, but let me also give a little Christmas present to the first caller. The Fiesta Bowl is coming to Glendale. On January 1st, Glendale, Arizona, not Glendale, California, and Liberty University and 960 The Patriot, our station, want you to attend and cheer on your favorite team. Will it be the Liberty Flames or the Oregon Ducks? Next caller, first caller, 602-5089-60, will win a set, a pair of two tickets. And it looks like we have that person. All subsequent callers get to talk to me and George. Welcome, George. Thanks for being with us. Always good to be on. Well, we're, um, I'm not sure if this will be our last visit before the end of the year. It might be. We'll see how, uh, how, the, how the holidays work themselves out. Uh, obviously, next year is going to be a hugely important and busy year for you and all of us in the realm of politics. Um, what's the big story at the end of the year? And what's obviously something we should be looking towards for the first part of the year? I'm going to guess the first part is Iowa, but maybe that relates to possibly possibly what the most important story is towards the end of this year. Take it any way you want. Yeah, I I think it's um, obviously as we look back at 2023, uh, I almost think that the the story of the year, not necessarily even to end the year, just the story of the year was the was the year itself. I mean, we've obviously tracked so much of what's happened this year on the show and. There has been a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of very intense international crises throughout the year. Things that like are spread out across a decade have happened in, in the span of one year. We went through multiple speakers of the House, uh, lots of change in, in Washington, probably the, the largest instance of incumbents stepping aside, even not just saying they're not going to run for re-election, completely stepping aside in D.C. and Arizona. We actually just had an additional member step aside um, the, the the discord and discomfort is, is at an all-time high, and I think the, the biggest thing to end the year is that how are we going to change that going into 2024, mm-hmm. and are we going to have leadership that's going to change that? Um, then I, I would agree unequivocally to start the year, not just singularly Iowa as a, as a state and the caucuses and, and the importance that it presents, particularly on the Republican side. But the, the really the formal kicking off of the presidential election, right? So between January 15th and the first Tuesday or second Tuesday of March, mm-hmm. 
we're going to essentially know who the Republican nominee is. I don't see there's a chance, and I made we a, essentially know now. I yes, I think we do. Yeah, I think we do. Actually, there was there was news today. I want yeah that Never Back Down Pack has canceled all of their airtime. Uh, boy, in talk Iowa and about New Hampshire. The, but boy, talk about the rise and fall of a of a of a of a of a huge edifice as a huge structure a political structure what the heck happened there too much money too much arrogance too much mismanagement i I mean look there's even been an admittance from what i've seen and i can't remember if it was uh you know sources not to be named or even from you know someone was surmising from the candidate himself being ron DeSantis, that you know the the timing just was not the timing just was not there i think there's more that can be unpacked and personality traits and all that but look i mean i don't know there's there's weirder things that people have gotten over so i'm not i don't know if i want to chalk it up to that but very clearly and unequivocally it seems like the republican primary electorate was not ready uh to move on yeah was not ready for an alternative and again we'll see how the actual contests go i would assume they begin to combat on each other more and more as time goes on you know i was actually also uh reading up on polling that once you get from iowa where Trump is very clearly in commanding lead. Then in New Hampshire, where it's a lot more precarious, Nikki Haley's in a strong second, but you get to her home states of South Carolina, and, and Trump is back to a, an even larger lead than he is in, in Iowa. So, so interesting, because the headline, I think the headline this morning, maybe in the Times or the Post, one of the big papers, was something like, Nikki Haley cuts into Trump's lead. Um, New Hampshire, I think. Mm-hmm. So he's now leading her, I think, in this poll, six to eight, Mm-hmm. point something like yes. that yeah. how real is this nikki haley thing because she is the comet of late look in new hampshire it's probably real i mean there's a chance i don't know maybe she wins the state really if other people drop out after yeah. the caucuses and yeah. depending on if they're on the ballot or not if she doesn't win the state i think she can come in close but as i've commented to you and to others i don't know how real it is in the totality of the campaign though i don't think it's real at all in the totality of the campaign uh, new hampshire is a very 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 unique Republican electorate mm-hmm. and nowhere else is like it. Mm-hmm. And there's states even like, and obviously we haven't touched on the Colorado item, which I'm sure we will, but even states like that or others that have, um, that they're going to change themselves to being caucuses, which are very much better for someone like President Trump in, in becoming the nominee. So all that to say, uh, look, to even you know wrap up the earlier point, uh, Ron DeSantis is a young guy. He is going to continue to be the governor of Florida. He's likely not going anywhere from a Republican perspective. That's and, what and, I would guess, right? I think I think it's it's less of an extinguishing of a flame and more of a That's, of a dimming for a moment. Yeah. Kind of a um, Scott Walker life. Yeah. And yeah. then and then you sort of retool uh, another direction. But I think the. I mean, look, the, the bulk of this coming year again, there's going to be a multitude of stories. It's going to be who is the next leader of the United States of America. Is it more of what we've had the last four years or is it going to be a new vision? And depending on, you know, if, if that ends up being um, a, a second term of a President Trump, discon, you know, like non-contiguous, which is not super common in our history, what does that mean? How do those four years play out? There's a lot of uncertainty on the horizon for the United States of America. And I think this year is going to be another exceptionally pivotal year in terms of the direction that we uh, that we go. And then finally, what happens to the economy? Does it pick back up or is it, you know, is it, I feel like it's teetering on the edge of like being okay and then falling off of a cliff, mm-hmm. right? In any given moment, depending on the person you talk to and the statistic and the, and the month and whatnot. And so what happens with that? And then, you know, what are the ramifications of that domestically? George Kaloff is my guest. Happy to take your calls at 602-508-0960. He of uh, Data Orbital and uh, the Resolute Group. You said caucuses probably favor Trump. 
Is that because they require an energy from an activated base? Yes. It's, a, it's a more active yes. involvement? Yes. So, so that would be akin to, and I say this all the time when I speak to these types of groups, you know, when an individual is willing to show up on a random Monday through Friday night and spend two hours of their life hearing from their elected officials and, and giving them feedback, you're, you're unique. For the same reason he can pack a stadium. And so a caucus is that yeah. way. And actually, you're not giving two hours of your life. You're actually giving hours and hours and hours of your life, and you're moving from one room to the next. Caucus systems and setups are exceptionally complicated, and they take a long time. This isn't just you stand in a line, you fill out your ballot, and then you go home. And so it absolutely takes a level of fervor that I just don't believe anyone else has from their supporters. But we know unequivocally, and even if others do, can it match the fervor of a, of a Trump supporter? And I just don't think that that's the case because – why, he, he came down the escalator in 2015, and now eight years later, he's still packing stadiums arguably larger than he was early on. Does it say something – we, we t- chatted a little bit about this last time we were together. Does it say something about the Republican Party or electorate that on paper, by really any political scientist's definition – Donald Trump is really not the most right-wing or conservative candidate. It's probably Ron DeSantis. But if you ask so 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 does that say something that the Republican Party is nominating the not most conservative person or is that statement blurred by the fact that Donald Trump's supporters do believe he is the most right-wing candidate if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do I do think it's blurred for a, a number of reasons and we somewhat touched on I think the last time we spoke it's it's it really depends on your definition on uh, any given issue your definition of what it means to be a conservative there's a very healthy debate and let me pick on a non-cultural issue because I feel like we talk a lot about cultural issues on economic issues between tariffs and people that want tariffs and populist uh, let's do it on the other side to pick it. up on the other let's side of the break it. George Kaloff is my guest K-H-A-L-A-F of the Resolute Group and Data Orbital Consulting. He and I will be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Political consultant George Kaloff is my guest. He of the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. Young David and I were at a reception the other night that George was not at, so we got the golden ticket that he didn't get. But (laughs) it was said of him at that party by neither David nor myself that he is the political kingmaker of the Republican Party in Arizona. Is that right, David? That's what they said. Yes, he was the kingmaker of political strategists. There you are, the kingmaker of political strategists in Arizona. What's your favorite Christmas song, George? My favorite Christmas song... We have a lot of votes here for the little drummer boy. Yes, yes, I do remember you mentioned that. (laughs) It would have to be... What's Eeyore's favorite Christmas song? (laughs) Eeyore is, oh, Christmas... (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I like the I like the more religious yeah. uh, Christmas songs. Oh, Holy Night. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, Holy we Night. We have a good version Silent of that yeah. here, or a couple good versions of it. I think we'll find something good. Well, we have uh, the Bergeron version at the end of the hour. At the end of the hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking with us right before the break, George, about what constitutes conservative within the Republican yeah. Party vis-a-vis how yeah. Trump is viewed versus, say, a DeSantis and then the culture and the economy being yeah. kind of honeycombed in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do, just to kind of quickly kind of summarize and make the point, and I'll use economics. We always use culture as, a, as an example I think it really depends on, you know, when we comment on, well, who's the more conservative and who's, you know, is that commentary on 
the state of the party. It depends on who you're asking and how you're asking it. There's a healthy, uh, very intense debate happening amongst the Republican Party between what I'd call old school neoclassical liberal economic types and frankly, individuals on the right, and they, they say they're on the right, that, that support uh, labor unions in very interesting ways and tariffs yeah. and increased tariffs and yeah. things. And so it's a, yeah. the American Compass being an Orrin Cass organization being one of the leading voices there. And they've got some very strong voices on, on components of that and utilizing government funds for, you know, um, for, for child care, not like tax credits, even like direct payments. And so it's, very, it's a very interesting thing. And so I bring that up to say that I do think it's very complicated and very murky because we don't have... I I don't believe we have a very distinctive and super clear we do on some issues not on others in this totality of like what this means to be like more conservative less conservative and the reason why I know that is when you ask people that disagree with one another and that support different candidates they give you completely not even different answers they give you different paradigms and that always makes me nervous because we have to at a minimum be working off the same paradigm and we're no longer it's not like there's an admittance of like I'm more I'm less conservative than you and I'm okay with that it's right 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 and that paradigm was pretty good for a while or it lasted I mean it was clear let's say between Reagan and Bush in 1980 what the who was the conservative candidate for multiple decades between Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum or Ted Cruz was he in that race no I think later but it's been very clear someone asked me the other day about they used a phrase. I was talking to someone the other day. They used a phrase, "McCain voter," and I said, "What do you mean by that?" And they said, "Well, maybe the more moderate part of the party." I said, "You know, the McCain voter is an interesting phrase if you're going to attach it to moderate, because my memory of John McCain watching him run a few different elections here was he always ran to the right in those elections when it came to be election time." So if you're talking about the McCain voter, you're talking about the guy who's attracted to the rightward John McCain, not the governing John McCain. Yeah, and 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 to be honest with you, in that moment, right when when he was in in power and leadership, let's pick on another issue that I know you and I spent uh, you know a good amount of time talking about on foreign policy. He he was one of the most conservative right wing yeah. members because in that moment in that to be moment, a conservative right. it meant to be right. a, a neocon right. quote unquote right, right. to use right. that phrase which right. meant to be that you you saw America as engaging with right. with the world and and frankly to the point of like fighting certain wars right. and having certain positions of of hard power and so, right like we're, we're getting a little nerdy here with that but that's what it meant to be a conservative in that regard now today. It's a very different thing. Now there's a there's a debate and the more conservative members and Freedom Caucus folks on at the federal level are, are more re- retractive or isolationist in their foreign policy. It's a very interesting thing. It and really we're talking is. about, Seth, mm-hmm. what, a 10 year difference from from Audible 16, yeah. you know, let's say from 10, 2010, yeah. 13 year difference. We have essentially shifted 180 degrees. And again, on foreign policy as being one one example. And they will be supportive of Donald Trump, that cohort. And yet... Again, you just correct me whenever I get something you disagree with or wrong. And yet, if you look at the Donald Trump foreign policy as president, it was kind of neocony by that definition. It was definitely not isolationist. It, it was wasn't not the way that was right. the one area where he right. campaigned very right. intensely in one way, but actually engaged right. with leaders. Now, what he did do is he did call foreign leaders out, right? He yeah. took NATO members yeah. to task and said, hey, you know, you need to pay your fair share relative to the United Nations. But frankly, I think, let I me mean, go to your average. Whether it was the Israel stuff, the Iran stuff, the anti-communist stuff. Exactly. It, right? I mean, this was kind of 
So you go to your average Republican voter. It's AEI tough to, stuff. <laughs> it's tough to say like, hey, do you think that other nations should be paying their fair share into NATO versus America right. carrying the load? I don't right. know. I mean, who, who's going to disagree with that on the in general on the on the right, unless you're in the sort of the foreign policy like. Uh, public policy space. But it does kind of go too to that earlier point about Donald Trump being this interesting the Latin phrase I keep coming to is sui generis. It's different from anything else ever like it in the sense that people can really pour their views into him and think he represents it even when the record or the speeches don't show it. It's a weird he's he's a vessel that way, channeling something he is. He is. And you, then, you know what I'm getting at? I, I do. I do. And then the question becomes, and I've asked this myself uh, this very consistently, like with that then in mind, will we actually see a true realignment of right. the Republican Party? Right, right, right. Or is it really dependent upon him? Right. And again, because realignments don't just work if, if a certain voting block comes to you and they were with the other party in the way that the South you know, obviously moved from Democrats to being Republicans over the course of a couple of decades. It also works on relative to your positions. But again, as we've articulated quite a bit uh, in, in this conversation, we're not settled as a, as a party on the right on what are our positions on a number of these issues. And, and I even though, by the way, even though I think that if you took, you know, if you took a, a, a census of, of a card-carrying, whatever that means, card-carrying Republicans, the, you'd probably have 70, 80 percent agreement on a whole host of things. But it's not that clear cut. And so then the question is, do we see that realignment? I'm not as convinced of that. I would have said unequivocally yes a number of years ago. I'm not sure that it's – I'm not sure how long-term it's going to be and on what issues it's, is it going to be long-term on. I'm just thinking modern history. It's hard to define any Republican president – that successfully realigned the party in a way, isn't it? Uh, Ronald Reagan, I don't know that he realigned the party because he chose George H.W. Bush, who kind of gave in on a lot of the Reagan stuff. Um, George W. Bush had eight years, but you can't find anyone who's going to stand up today and say they're a George W. Bush Republican. It's almost to me... You're looking. Am I just wrong about this? In other words, this realignment of the party thing seems to be very temporary. It is. Let's uh, let's pick up okay, on it when we come okay, back. Okay. I do think there's some good. some stuff to unpack okay. here. Good, good, good. George Kaloff and I'll be right back. Who, David? Who? Who is this? Is this someone born in Arizona? Is this someone born in Arizona? I don't know. Who is it? Who is it? You don't know what this song is. No. Who is it? This is Andy Williams. Stop it! <laughs> you don't even know what Canadian Sunset sounds like. George Kaloff is my guest. <laughs> David Dahl is my enemy. And uh, we'll get to Doug in a moment. Uh, Doug, please uh, hold just a second. I wanted George to fill out uh, a little bit of that thought of realignments. Yeah. I. I don't know if... Can does the leader of the party realign yeah, or are right. leaders right. responsible somewhat for pushing culture, but then the people realign and then leaders are like, OK, I pushed, but now I understand where, where we're at and then we're going to go in this new direction. I say that to say that the realignments that we know in history have, have been when groups of people 
subgroups of whether ethnically, economically, you know, education-wise, you name it. Like we've seen a little bit of that. That just sort of wholesale decide to, to oppose someone or to support someone, and then they they sort of bring the parties and the things around them with them. So I think that's what, from a realignment perspective. You know, partly we're seeing a realignment of suburban voters and educated, you know, college educated voters that are white sort of trending towards, uh, sorry, away from Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we'll see, OK, well, does that hold if a future leader, are they trending away from the Republican Party or are they trending away from just that one man? And then on the other hand, you know, with what we're seeing with some Hispanic voters, some African-American voters, non-college educated, you know, voters that are white and non-white trending more towards the Republican Party. What does that look like? And is it because of Donald Trump or is it because of the parties? And that is the question that's open is like in the in the post-Trump dynamic in the coming, let's say, decade, decade and a half. Will the realignment hold or will they revert back to where we were coming out of the 90s and early 2000s? That's I al- yeah, I, I take your point. I think I almost want to say something that might be too clever, but I kind of mean it, which is it may not be that Trump realigned the party if there is a realignment, but perhaps Trumpism has. And I wonder if that's a useful distinction. It comes with a lot of different thoughts, but just this notion of what people pour into him and their own beliefs yeah. and yeah. Kind of a conservatism wedded to, wedded to. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the word is. I'm searching for uh, a grassroots populism, yeah. a yeah. conservative I mean, populism. America first public policy is not going to go anywhere. Right. That I think we know for sure. It just depends on what does that exactly mean. Right. 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 And I don't even know 100 percent what I mean when I say America first public right. policy. But right. I'm assuming a listener is hearing well, that's, that. And saying, that's okay, that's a great point. I don't think anyone can say what America first policy means um well it means putting american for america first okay what's the marginal tax rate yeah exactly that's what i'm saying it it, it has a it has sort of like a like a broad narrative and a cathesis but yeah. it doesn't necessarily address and, and is it a flat tax or a consumption tax, exactly right exactly it doesn't it yeah it's a good framework for thinking yes it's yeah. a good framework for thinking about things. How will this help America? And that should be first and foremost top of mind with any public policy discussion, which I get when you're up against what has been called the globalist agenda, I suppose, right? Um, or the um, blame America first agenda that is so, mm-hmm. I think, entrenched in the Democratic Party. See, I think in a sense, too, though, George, the Democratic Party has realigned more than the Republican Party has had a oh, realignment yeah. more. You agree with that? I mean, I think that they've ran. And again, I, I've said this before, and I know it may be controversial to some. I think they've ran far more to the left yeah. than, than yes. Republicans have ran to the right. Yeah, I, I mean, are you kidding I, me? I don't think there's I don't think there's any serious social science that can question that. I just don't. Uh whether we're talking about self-defined socialists and the credibility that finds and the electability that finds, or whether we're just talking socialist policies. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Doug is, uh, you know what, I'm just going to save Doug for the other side of the break because we are coming up on a break. But let me give out the phone number, 602-508-0960 for anyone else who wants to join Doug. Uh, George Kaloff is my guest K-H-A-L-A-F of the Resolute Group and Data Orbital, political consultant, kingmaker of Republican political consulting in Arizona, as was described uh, in Hack Verba and before our very eyes at a reception earlier this week. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 
Uh, George Kaloff is my guest, political consultant extraordinaire. Take your calls here. Uh, is that okay with you? Doug in Maricopa, you're on with George Kaloff. Hi, Doug. Hi, George uh, and Seth. Um, great, great discussion. A um, little nervous about uh, talking about uh, politics with George. That's sort of like writing a note to your English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you do you do so with a lot of apprehension, you know. So. But um, I just I you know th- this needs to be talked about because everything you guys are, are discussing I agree with, but I'd like to add a layman's perspective. Um, you know, going to the county Republicans and volunteering here and there. I can tell you what average uh, smucks like myself and many of my friends and business associates discuss. Um, I think there things are shifting uh, dramatically in the world. I think we're kind of at the end of where the uh, old Republican uh, can manage what's going on. That is to say, many people like myself love the fight that is in Trump, even if he's 30 percent in my principles of a a conservative, whatever he says he's going to fight for, he fights like a dog. Most of the people I voted for, campaigned for, donated to are very conservative. And you even mentioned it, George. They talk conservative during the election like McCain. And then he just browbeats you on the border. <laughs> he defends he defends Kennedy. He's more worried about being sweet to the leftists. Now, here's the whole thing. The whole time all of this accommodation and sweetness happens, we're just doing like they want 8% growth, and we are saying, oh, we should drop it down. So we go on 6%, even though there's 3% inflation. So government's always growing. Over 40 years, the government has consumed. Agencies go from $15 billion to $150 billion. We've done nothing. So we're at a dead point financially. We're now, people are going away from the dollar. We're going deficits. We can no longer sit there and uh, act sweet and kind while we're going under because we're at a pretty big crossroad. So you and I may not differ at all in principle, but it's application. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, application is everything because I look at it and say the difference between a radical leftist and a conservative that's being sweet and more worried about being nice is zero because the leftist agenda will be applicable. He will never move the right to the right. It'll always just be a slower move to the left. So I'm sorry. What? What do you? How? How far off am I? No, no, no. So you're asking about what you would call maybe a set point or a resetting of the point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I. W- yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're so I'll, far I'll, down yeah, the road. Let George, we can't do it anymore. Yeah, I'll let. I'll let George go after. Yeah. It. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, look. I, this is, and I think this this connects to a, a topic I talk often about, and I agree wholeheartedly that. The mindset of of the the left and the progressive left is very clear cut. They have certain beliefs and they're going to pass those beliefs. And it really kind of doesn't matter if people disagree. The mindset of some on the right is not that there is just a more of a conciliatory mindset. And then it causes those of us to the right of those individuals to just be frustrated. Not that it means that compromise can never happen, but it just it always feels like 
we're compromising at the sake of what the other wants, right? Depending on what that issue is. And so I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and look, the, the, the entire, um, the, the party very clearly needed something when it elected Donald Trump in 2016. The country needed something. The party needed something. There was a shift that occurred and that shift. And I tell people this all the time. It needed to happen right now. Okay. Six, seven years later, we're figuring out how this all settles out. But that shift needed to happen because the way in the path that we were going down, we were going to start becoming unrecognizable, right? Like the, the, the center left and the center and the center right was all going to just be one amalgamation. And they were almost from the middle squeezing out the end. And now it's the inverse. We needed some type of a, of a shifting. That's Absolutely. Yeah. We needed a shifting. We needed a jolt. And now, definitely in Washington, D.C., I mean, unequivocally in Washington, D.C., we needed a jolt. Now it's saying, yeah. okay, now how is this going to settle out uh, application-wise? How is it going to settle out in the states? How is it going to settle out materially? Because I agree with you, there's a lot of differences on the actual applications of set and, and certain policies and the difference between, you know, you said earlier, flat tax versus not and, you know, all of kind of the, the actual nitty-gritty of the policymaking. Yeah, you you know, I I think all those are wonderful discussions, and to me, I think the big shift is in how are we going to fight for it? Because what you know, it, you know, are we? Because when you talk about negotiation, whenever they say that, one hundred percent of the time, one hundred percent of the time, it moves to the left. It just uh, you know, okay, we drop it down one percent yep. more. Yep. Okay, instead of two and a half trillion in deficit, we've gone to two trillion. Yep. It gives you shivers, but like I'm saying, we're we're in a position now um, that we we are coming to the dead end of how much debt we can load in. I I think I, I think all that's right, and I think what you said is really something to think about and focus on too. Smart George, that it was the center that kind of defined mm-hmm. centrifugally, centrifugally the wings of the parties, and now it's the wings of the parties that are kind of changing the yeah. center. Yeah, and, and Doug is correct. I mean, I, I think that if you ask definitely the average American that's right of center, for, for sure, I don't think you're going to see many people who, are, who, who can find examples of when we feel like from a federal perspective, and let's think about this, when did we get the better end of a compromise? Right. It always is like we have to take our position and then we have to like make it more palatable to, to the, to the lose other side. By Why? less. Why? That's yeah, what George, yeah. that's what Doug's saying. Our position has been losing by less. Yeah. 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 Look yeah. at what they did with the you know, with with the health care stuff. Right. That's not right. how they right. started the debate. They right. just simply didn't have the votes to pass Medicare right. you know right. for all and all that. And so then they did whatever right. you know else that they wanted, but they don't they don't do they don't reciprocate the right. same way that we tend to be asked to reciprocate and the people have just had enough. Fair enough. Let me get to Mike in Goodyear. Hi, Mike. You're on with George Kaloff. Hi, Seth. I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to uh, say two major points. One, I wanted to share my perspective on the realignment of the party and then define for you what America First means to a, uh, a Republican All right, voter. Do me, a favor, cause we get, do me a favor, guys. We had to break. Do the second one first. I think we can squeeze it out before the break, and then we'll do the second one when we come back. Sure. America first, to me, as a Republican voter, means things like taking care of American veterans before um, foreign citizens that come into our country illegally. Okay. Our money inside of our borders before sending it outside of our borders, whether it's an ally or not. Mm -hmm. It means taking care of our nation instead of the globe like the globalists want us to do. Okay. And, and And in that regard, I don't think it's a outrageous point of view for the American citizen or taxpayer to say, hey, if we're spending all this money that we don't have, 
why don't we prioritize no. American citizens before the, the rest of the globe? Fair, fair, fair and articulate. Let me take the commercial break, and I'll let you make your other observation when we come right back. Uh, George Kaloff and I and Mike in Goodyear will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff has been our guest uh, this hour in studio. Delighted to have you, George. Thank you, Data Orbital and the Resolute Group. And Mike in Goodyear wanted to uh, talk with us a little bit just briefly about realignments. Go ahead, Mike. We have a short segment, Thanks. but if you can work it in. Thank you, Seth. So from my perspective on the Republican Party realigning, it, it would be my uh, point of view that the Republican Party shifted before Donald Trump. Donald Trump simply tapped into what already existed, which was that there's a big rift within the Republican Party, and I, I find it extremely useful to um, separate Republican voters and Republican politicians, because Republican voters are vastly different than Republican politicians. Mm -hmm. Republican politicians like John McCain in 2007 or Mitt Romney four years later didn't represent the average Republican voter by any means. They represented the Republican establishment D.C. party, which is a much more liberal um, point of view than the average typical Republican voter. So I always separate the two out. Republican voters have held a lot of these beliefs that Donald Trump simply tapped into and focused by bringing up issues, let's say, like a border wall or putting America first or making NATO members pay their fair share of this common defense, things like that. These are feelings that already existed and this massive disconnect between voters and politicians. He simply focused it, and that's why it will carry on. Even if Donald Trump died tomorrow, the, the voters have this perspective of putting America first and having this disconnect between what people like McCarthy in D.C. want compared to what the average voter wants. I think that makes sense. Yeah, it's, I think it's articulate. I'll let George uh, take it from here. Thank yes, you. Yes, it, it, it does make sense. Now, my one concern would be this. What if that voter does not feel like they have an individual they could vote for who does represent that? Right. Then what do they do? Right. That would stymie a realignment, and that would cause those individuals who already are predisposed to feel disenfranchised, to feel uh, ostracized, to be even more so. In that way. And that's what worries me is that what happens to the party, what happens to this movement if they don't feel like someone can grab the bull by the horns in the same way. And we have to be attentive to that, which is why I always shout it from the rooftops. And sometimes uh, folks don't like it. My, my, my peers don't in the sense of what are we doing to listen to the average voter? And are we in line with the average voter? Are we in line uh, with the interests that we want them uh, to, to be in line with? Well, George Kaloff, thank you, and thank you for being here, and thank you for everything this year, and looking forward to next, if we don't see each other before then, though we might, and certainly we won't probably see each other before Christmas, so Merry Christmas Merry to Christmas you, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.